Ailey Carr, tell me how you are doing. Oh, I'm fabulous. I'm fabulous. Thank you. Thanks for asking. So y'all don't know Haley yet, or you may you may know Haley. I don't know, but you're getting ready to get to listen to kind of like um, me talking to one of my favorite people in the world, and it just so happens that we're recording it and we're just throwing it out there. So listen in. You might hear some things that you shouldn't hear, and otherwise, it'll be a lot of fun. So. <laughs> Can I just say that is the best way I've ever heard someone set up a podcast before? (laughs) (laughs) The best, yeah. No sense in being serious, right? Yeah. Hello, Kelly Howard here, and thank you so much for joining me and my guest, Haley Carr, today. Haley is an elite, high-performance success coach who has lived through the good, the impossible, and the outrageous. She has 19 karate world titles and is allergic to playing small. Even though we've never met in person, I count her as one of my closest and coolest friends. So this conversation is a little like eavesdropping on one of our chats. I hope you enjoy meeting her as much as I enjoy knowing her. Listen in and let me know what you think. So Haley, tell me about tiny shifts. Well, people usually, so I'm a life coach. People usually want to have a massive, rapid, wild um, transformation in their life. And there's two issues. One is they either can't connect or don't give themselves permission to connect with the big vision that they want. And so that's one of the first hurdles. But the second hurdle is having this connection to the big vision and then being stifled because it's so big, they don't know where to start. It's overwhelming. And so I believe that the biggest transformations you can make, the ones where you look back in five years' time or three years' time or even, dare I say it, 90 days, and you go, oh my, what? <laughs> like my life <laughs> is infinitely intergalactically different than it was even 90 days ago. And I believe that comes from tiny in the moment shifts in the form of a teeny tiny decision, a new choice, a new action and a new awareness. And just asking like, what is the very first step that I could take? Even if it feels painfully small. If you keep asking yourself that as you move towards a bigger vision, uh, and the step obviously needs to be aligned with that vision, uh, yeah, you will look back in no time and and see the rapid transformation. Let me just say, like, if you're listening, you should rewind back and listen to that again. Because when I first met Haley and she was talking to me, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I want to do big shit. (laughs) I don't have time for little tiny things. I don't have time. But, you know, I I was won over by her just amazingness. And the other thing that's kind of interesting is if you've listened in the past, Joe Jacoby was on on here with us before too, and he is an Olympic gold uh, medalist. Haley is, um, I think, nine-time world karate champion. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So these are people who are playing at the top of the game, like as top of the game as you get. And both of them bring up in different ways the idea of tiny incremental changes. So it's very interesting to me that you hear that from the people who are really playing the biggest. So in the tiny shifts... I know that you say they can lead to bigger things. How does that work? If you think about when we rush things, we skim over the surface and we miss it. If we're always focused on where we're going, we miss opportunities for shortcuts that are right in front of us. So often 
someone will have a plan, like they'll have a goal and then they'll reverse engineer the goal and break it down into different steps. We've all been taught how to do goals like that in a smart way. You break down the steps, you break down the steps between the steps and then you follow the plan until you get there. How often does it happen though that the plan actually works out? It's like never works out that way. I don't know why we're still teaching people goals. It's really tragic when you look back, right? (laughs) It's really horrible. Like we all feel bad about ourselves. We should just stop this right now. (laughs) And so if you think about it, I, I think Tony Robbins actually said this example a while back when he was coaching a golfer. And it was a, maybe it was his golf coach, forgive me if I have butchered that already, but it was around this idea, this distinction that like a tiny little shift in the degree of the angle of the golf club at the moment it impacts the golf ball is the bit that makes the biggest difference in where that ball is going to end up. It's not how hard you hit it. It's not necessarily the wind. I mean, those factors come into play, but they're all the kind of bigger bits that we want to focus on that are more shiny and more glamorous. If you think about any goal, it's like, what outfit am I going to wear when I'm doing my active pursuit, you know, to hit my goal? Or I guess, what's my meal plan going to be? What what are the fun things I'm going to eat? What are all the recipes? And it's like, we got to make a decision at the very, very beginning where metaphorically the golf club hits the golf ball. Like, what is that for you? That's the tiniest shift that can mean the difference between a 90-degree angle kind of lag in where the ball is going to be hit. So it means in the morning, for example, when you wake up, let's say you have a goal with your fitness, it means in the morning when you wake up, like what are you going to nourish your body with and are you going to make a choice to actually get up when your alarm has been set? And then before that even, like the moment for that, the moment when the, the club would hit the ball is even before you go to bed at night, like are you giving yourself time, adequate time to rest so that you can wake up in the morning? And are you taking part in activities that slow you down so that you can rest so that you can get up in the morning? It's about looking at the teeniest, tiniest little things. With business, you know, we have big goals and it's like, well, what's the one tiny thing that is available to me right now that I can do that's within my power that's going to make a difference to this end picture? And they're the things we think, no, that's just, it's not glamorous enough. It's not big enough. It's not hustling enough. It's not like, I can't say at the end of the day, I did this whole thing, but tell you what, every book that was written was one word at a time. Every empire that has ever been built was one conversation, one email, one piece of content, one whatever at a time. And when I used to coach martial artists, I used to um, travel around the world and teach people how to speed up their kata, which is like a dance of karate moves. And I would teach them how to improve and get faster and get sharper and, and, and be more in flow when they're doing these moves. And they would always want to go faster and want to practice really fast. They'd say to me, I want to improve. And then I'd say, show me what you got. And they would go so fast. And my job, and they always hated me in the beginning, was to say, right, I want you to do this like 10 times or 100 times slower, like in super, super, super slow-mo. And pick the bit that you most don't want to do in slow-mo, the bit that you kind of know that you skim over, like maybe it's a part in your kata where you have to lift your leg up and hold your balance and swivel around on your right foot and then put your foot down, your left foot down very gently. And I would witness these people who thought that by going faster, they were going to improve their speed when rather when we slowed down, and they would go through a piece of their kata that was really challenging for them. When they slowed it down, they noticed all of the pieces 
of their posture, of their breathing, of where their core was held, of how their ankle was tilted to a certain degree on the wrong angle that would affect their balance and therefore have them skimming over a certain part of their kata. When you go through it really slowly and you do it absolutely perfectly aligned with, you know, like I said, posture and all that, they'd move through it with so much more confidence and so much more finesse and actually so much more speed because they weren't trying to skim over a bit that they weren't so sure about. So slowing down effectively led them to speeding up. And by the end of the practice that I would do with these people, at first they would hate me because everybody wants to go fast. But by the end, all of them had a cutter that was about 25% faster and they felt like 100% more confident because when people are watching you do something and you are hoping that nobody notices this one bit where you go through it really quickly because you're not that confident with it, it it has an effect on your whole body energy. So slowing down to speed up and, and tiny little actionable steps, like teeny tiny actions all of this to me is like the same thing. And not only does it affect the end outcome in you actually getting there instead of focusing every day on the fact that you don't have it yet, but it also has you improve your energy, improve your confidence, and you just show up to things with a vibe of, I'm no longer the person who is longing for this. I'm the person who is doing this. I'm on the journey. I'm on the path. I'm on the adventure. I'm creating it right now. Can you speak to that for just a little bit? Because it's such an important piece and we don't usually bring that up on this podcast, but just the idea of not just striving to get to something, but being to get there. Like I mentioned, a lot of the time we create like a 20 step plan on the way to our goal. And we don't look around to see if there's any shortcuts or we think that we're going to stick to the plan and then the plan doesn't work. And then we think it's all turned to poop and we leave it alone. And then it's all very tragic, right? We don't hit our goals. But once you are the type of person or once you have taken one teeny tiny step, even if it's like literally, this is going to sound crazy, but even if it's getting on Google or picking up the phone and making an inquiry with somebody, it's that simple because it's always, there is always something that you can do that's available to you that's within your power. Sometimes there are things that you know you could do, but maybe you can't afford it. Maybe there's a bill that needs payment that you just, you don't have the money for today. That's not what I'm talking about. That's something that's not your business today. But every day there is something that you can do that's available to you. And the thing is, when you've actually done that thing, you've taken one tiny step and one tiny action, you're no longer the person who has a plan and hasn't started. You're a person who's on the ride. And that's a very different place to be. In fact, your whole perspective changes once you've engaged with the process of creating the thing that you want. Once you have dived into the deep end and begun. And in fact, that's the best place to then ask, well, what's the next tiny action I can take? Because when you've taken one step into the journey, you have a completely new perspective. You are now a completely different person. You're not the person who sits on the couch and plans. You're the person who does it. And from there, with that new perspective, you're going to see a completely different way to get where you want to go. So that's why it's really important to continue focusing while you've got the long vision on the tiny steps, the tiny things that you can do, because once you take one step, everything is different. You might see that from that new perspective, that step three, four, five, six, and seven are no longer necessary anymore. And you only could know that once you've begun. Hence, you make shortcuts and this is how you get to the end step a whole lot faster by doing tiny steps one at a time. I love that. (laughs) 
<laughs> for everybody that's in the U.S. listening, they're just going to love listening to your Australian accent. <laughs> we do, you know. We're like, oh, that's so. Should I put it on a bit more? All right, mate. Yeah. <laughs> there you oh, go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so right now, you've just made some big changes in your life, and you're in Australia. But can you tell us a little bit about the big move you just made? Because I find it fascinating. I mean, anyone who knows me personally knows that I'm driven to to be outside of the city more. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, I've traveled around a lot of my life and I used to live in a city in a beautiful apartment by the beach and I had a very set up kind of a life. And this was about, oh gosh, maybe eight years ago now. Can't even remember. Maybe nine years ago. And uh, I decided that I wanted to travel around the world. And so I did that for a number of years, lived out of a suitcase and had some incredible discoveries about how we can thrive without the need to really place ourselves in a city, place ourselves in anywhere particular, especially if you're an entrepreneur, right? Like I am, I can work remotely. So I'm very lucky that I've created that kind of a life. But I made some discoveries around a feeling of home being within myself and actually how much I thrived when I didn't wait for all the circumstances to line up so that I could live in the place that made me feel alive, but in fact, did it the other way around, move to the places that I felt called to that made me feel alive and trust that everything actually is going to align and feel better once I do that. And that's precisely what has happened time and time and time again. I'm, I met my partner uh, three years ago, actually three years ago next week, and I lived in a beautiful part of the world and he lived in what I call the coldest place on earth. Um, which is where I lived when um, we were working together. I moved down there to be with him and he had a job and he wanted to leave that job. And we started looking for property. Both Our decision was we wanted to live in a big property by a river and build an off-grid house somewhere warmer. And it felt like a mountain to climb because, well, firstly, he had to quit his job. Um, we didn't have the savings. We had to. We didn't even know how to buy a house. We'd never done it before. And it was just, it was kind of, we were three hours from the closest airport, which meant every time we wanted to look at a house, we had to find this mammoth effort to go and look at places in the location that we wanted to be. It was all very expensive, but we ended up being able to find this place almost a year after we started our search. And we gave ourselves permission right at the beginning to start looking, even though we had no idea and we didn't think it was possible for us. So we started looking online to see what was available in the areas that we had chosen. And then we made this daring um, choice, which for some people might, you might think that's not very brave, but we were kind of nervous Nellies about this. We called up the bank and we called up the mortgage broker to see how much it would actually be on a weekly or a monthly basis for us to afford the property that we wanted. And the reason why we were so nervous about that was because we weren't sure if we were going to get in trouble. We weren't sure if we were going to get rejected. We didn't think we could handle the rejection at that point. And it just felt really nerve wracking. You know, nobody wants to hear like, no, you can't afford it. <laughs> just put your dreams away. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You suck. Go home. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Like don't take the piss, you know, just get out. That's right. That's an Australian um, saying. It's like, you're kidding, right? When you say you're taking the piss, you're kidding, right? Um, we didn't want to hear any of that. And then we, we actually sort of dared to fail, dared to find out that we were going to be wrong and we were sort of ready to hear this whole like no. 
Um, and we found out, oh, that's actually more doable than we thought. It's, it's going to be a bit of a push, but maybe we're closer to this than we realize. So then we decided to fly up to the area and have a look at different places. And then we discovered the rules about what we could build and where, and we got clearer actually on what we wanted as we engaged with the process. And every single time it was just, well, what can we do today? What's within our power today? We found a place, we put an offer in, we didn't know what we were doing. We were like, is this even real life right now? Um, it got, you know, it got rejected kind of thing. It got stuffed up and we were very disheartened. But what we could do beyond that was we went home and I actually kept the picture of the property up on the fridge and then went, okay, well, if I can't shortcut this, I'm going to have to go the long way. So I looked at, well, what do I have to do? in my finances to switch because when you run a business in Australia, it's really difficult to get a loan for a house. They just don't trust you. I don't know why. It's To me, it's way safer to have your own business, but um, to the banks, it's not. So I was like, okay, I've got to switch everything over from a sole trader to a company and I've got to pay myself an official wage, which means I need to pay superannuation and tax and all these different things that Australians have to do when they have a company and they have employees. And I had to restructure everything. And I thought, right, if this takes me 20 years and I end up getting there, then so be it. I'm committed to it because that's the vision, but I'm going to continue every single day to do whatever is within my power to make this happen. And so it was every day, like a tiny little step. I have to contact this bank. I have to, you know, anyway, it ended up working out really well because, um, my parents decided that they wanted to look in the same area and we started looking all together and we kind of made this agreement, like maybe because it's going to be such a big block of land, if we went in all together on this property, like four of us, it would be a lot more cost effective. We could get something really beautiful and it might happen even sooner because the, the longer things took, the more the prices were rising in the area that we wanted. And that's exactly what happened. My, my folks found somewhere that was really beautiful, has two houses on it. We made an agreement that we need to be far enough away from each other that we don't see each other every day. <laughs> that was actually my parents' rule. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, and then that's what happened. No, I mean, I thought that was hilarious as well. But um, And so here we are and it happened really, really fast. And because of the way that it worked out, they were able to retire early because the property price they were looking for was really low. And that also helped us be able to get a loan, which meant that my partner doesn't have to work right now. He can work on his own business that's happening. He doesn't have to keep his job. And just sometimes, sometimes, not, not all the time, but I think that most of the time there's an opportunity for a shortcut that we're not willing to see because our perspective is so linear and laser focused on the end step and the plan that we made or the way that we've been taught things have to happen. And so if you open up your perspective, you just open it like one degree or two degrees and you widen your frame of being able to see things or perhaps even widen your understanding about how it's going to happen or what it's going to look like and instead focus on the qualities you want to experience rather than the way it's got to be wrapped up, then you can open yourself to experiencing the feelings that you desire under every goal way faster than what you perceive when you begin on an adventure of creating something that seems impossible. That's it's true. And so you ended up on a beautiful piece of property. You have a river running through it and woods. Yeah, it's um it's a hundred acres. It is in the hinterland of the east coast of Australia. So it's pretty warm temperature. I'm sitting 
here looking at these beautiful um, yellow-tailed black cockatoos flying around outside. They're huge. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. And um, there's a big river that goes for about a kilometre along the property. It's just these rolling hills. I'm just pinching myself that we found this place. I'm so happy for you. That Thank sounds you. amazing. Thank you. Amazing. Oh, so let me ask you, if you were to pose to our listeners three questions they could ask themselves that, and it doesn't have to be three, it could be two, it could be 10, but you know, roughly three questions that they could ask themselves that would help them shift their perspective around whatever it is that's holding them back. What would those be? I love this question because I believe the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions that you ask yourself. And so when we ask ourselves really disempowering questions like, why do I have no energy? Or why does this always happen to me? Your unconscious mind is going to look for an answer that answers that crappy question. Like, why do we have no energy? Well, because you suck. <laughs> like, why do you, <laughs> do you know what I mean? When you ask a really right. powerful it's, question, it's true. yeah, you get a, you get a powerful answer. So the first question I would ask is, what is it that I secretly really want? What is it that I secretly really want? And remember that nobody ever has to read this. Your thoughts and your desires and everything are free. But most of us, for starters, don't give ourselves permission to want what it is that we want. And I have a belief that everybody knows what they want. They just tell themselves a story like, oh, yeah, but I don't know how or I can't do that or who am I to think that? Well, that's impossible, right? Let it go of all that. Just allow yourself to desire. So secretly, what do I secretly really want? The second question is, what is one teeny tiny action I can take that is in alignment with that thing that I secretly really want? And it could be like teeny tiny. I'm going to get my shoes and I'm going to put them next to my bed. I'm going to get on Google and look up what the heck it would even look like to do that. You know, dreaming is free. So one teeny tiny action that is within my power that I can do today. And the third question would be, what am I avoiding? And the reason why I say that question, that's probably one of the most powerful things I do with my clients is because when you realize the things that you're avoiding, there is an untapped well of the amount of freedom that you'll feel on the other side of doing those things. And it's also the key to developing all of the pieces of you that are required to become the type of person who has what he or she wants. So if there's an end step that you want, you got to look at what you're avoiding. When you do all of those things, you develop yourself into the person who has that thing at the end. Wow. Thank you. So is there anything else you'd like to um, share with everybody? Or do you feel like you've got us, I, you've got us pretty wrapped up here, but anything else you'd like to, to say? <sighs> you know, I say to people, everything you want is so much closer than you can imagine. I believe that with my whole heart. I end every email with that sentence because so often we are just closed off to the wonder of really how close we are to a quantum leap, like something that's available to us right now that we've just been unwilling to give ourselves permission to do in that moment. And so if there was one thing I could say to you, it is really everything you want is so much closer than you think. And you don't even have to know how. You just have to be open to that idea and you will start to search unconsciously for reasons to back that up in ways that that is true. So that's what I would say. Haley Carr, it is so, so nice to talk to you. For everyone listening, I will make sure that we link to everything Haley does in our show notes. 
and we'll have her on the uh, social media post too. Personally, I am so happy to get to chat with you again. I thought it had been just a few months and it turns out it's been quite a while and you are one of my favorite people in the world. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. It's been so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much again for joining Haley and I today. Haley has a gift for all our listeners over at fitisfreedom.com. Just click on the podcast link, episode 43, and you'll be able to download her Feel Better, Play Bigger coaching guide. Don't miss this gift. Like all things Haley does, it's top notch. Also, while you're on the site, fitisfreedom.com, put your email in or send us a note via the contact page so we can send you the invite to our upcoming Fit, Free, and Fabulous Fitness Storm a full month of weekly coaching and Q&As, completely free. Please join me. You'll love it. And if you're already one of our awesome subscribers, we'll be sending you a private invitation next week. Thank you all for listening. And of course, a week cannot go by without me saying a very big and heartfelt thank you to Riley and all the guys at Podigy.co. I consistently get kudos from other podcasters on the quality of our audio. And it is, of course, 100% Podigy.co that makes it happen. If you have a podcast or you're thinking about one, make sure you check out podigy.co. They make life easy. By the way, if you heard the chatty bird in the background, that is a foster budgie I have right now. And if you are looking for a baby bird, let me know. Have a great week. Bye-bye.